This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. You're listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. Meanwhile in Memphis is a program dedicated to conversations that celebrate the organizations, initiatives, and people that are shaping Memphis for the better. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you by New Memphis, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to develop, activate, and retain the city's most important resource, its people. Your hosts today are myself, Anna Thompson, and my colleague, Rebecca Daly. Before we dive into today's conversation, just a quick reminder that we have Memphis 101 coming up on September 19th. This is a an action-packed crash course in Memphis history, and we'll be kicking that off at the Brooks Museum. You can head to newmemphis.org slash events for more information there. Also to note, early voting begins this Friday, September 15th, and goes through Saturday, September 30th. This is the fastest and easiest way to, for you to vote. But if you can't make it out during that time frame, Election Day is coming up on Thursday, October 5th. We are super excited for our conversation today, so we are going to get right to it. Joining us today is Michael Detroit, the executive producer at Playhouse on the Square, and Tracy Loretson-Wright, the COO of Arts Memphis. Please join us in welcoming them to the studio. Welcome, Michael and Tracy. How are y'all doing this morning? Doing very well, thank you. Good. Um, so we wanted to get started off by having each of you share a little bit about yourself and your organizations so that our listeners could get to know you a little bit better. Tracy, you want to start? Sure thing. So I am COO at Arts Memphis. Um, I've been with Arts Memphis for seven years. I've been in Memphis for 23 years um, as of this, um, as of August, about a month ago. So um but at Arts Memphis, um, we've been working behind the scenes for 60 years now. This is our 60th anniversary year to grow the foundation of Memphis's arts. And so we uh, raise funds from uh, contributors all across Memphis and Shelby County that we then invest in arts organizations and artists. So, for example, last year was one of our biggest grant-making years in our history. We um granted out $3.4 million to 63 different organizations and hundreds of artists. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. I knew that Arts Memphis had a big role in the community. I did not realize it was your 60th anniversary. It is. So yes. Congratulations. We're very excited. Thank you. Six decades of work in Memphis. Yes. Yeah. What about you, Michael? Uh, sure. Yeah. I'm the executive producer at Playhouse on the Square. Uh, I have been at Playhouse since 1989, so 34 years. I've been the executive producer since 2018, uh, spent 20 years as associate producer and 10 years as a development director within that time. Um, yeah, Playhouse is uh, a resident professional theater company. We produce 15 shows on three stages, Playhouse on the Square, the Circuit Playhouse, and TheaterWorks. We also have a tour that goes out about uh, 200 miles around Memphis, and we have 11 education outreach programs that reach about 30,000 children, teens, and adults every year. So uh, as a professional theater company, we have uh, a rather large staff uh, full-time and hundreds of contractors throughout the season. So, uh, yeah, we've been producing since 1969 when we were incorporated. Love it. So you recently celebrated 50 years. Yeah, we're going on 54 now, so we're almost at our 55th. Uh, yeah, we, we celebrated 50 years. It's, you know, we, we pride ourselves on um, the various kinds of shows that we can produce and educational programming, uh, always striving to do better. 
uh, and I think, uh, you know, with a lot of input from our friends in our community uh, here in Memphis and in the region, quite frankly, uh, you know, we, we want to continue pushing the boundaries of the kinds of things that we produce on stage and uh, also through our educational programs so that we can uh, try to reach as many folks as possible. That's our goal. I know that education is a huge piece of theater and Mm -hmm. um, the arts in general around the Mid-South and across the country, really. Mm -hmm. But um, I feel like that work is so often overlooked a little bit. You know, it it plays a backstage role a little bit. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, every community has, I think, a different take on how they utilize the arts as um, a motivator to uh, do things within their community, whether it's, you know, just providing the arts, which is great. Uh, but it it also is a uh, a jumping board, uh, you know, starting point for uh, doing a lot of other things in our community. Uh, we know, and you know, I know Tracy and Arts Memphis. They have a lot of the uh, details that come out from various studies that have been done. But we know that the arts are important for uh, the development of our youth, whether it's in education or uh, becoming better community members, uh, helping stave off crime, uh, better workforce, uh, attraction and retention, all of these things, as well as internally, uh, you know, within the arts, providing um, a living wage as much as possible within the arts. And that's something that uh, nobody has the golden egg for that yet, but uh, certainly at Playhouse. And I know, you know, with uh, all of the programs that Arts Memphis provides, certainly allows us to continue doing that. And, And to your point, yeah, education is in the arts is of utmost importance, not just peripherally. So we take that seriously, and most other arts groups in the, in this area do as well. So you spoke a little bit to how Playhouse on the Square, you and um, Tracy and Arts Memphis work together, but could you share mm-hmm. a little bit more about the collaboration that is required here in Memphis to make the arts sector thrive rather than survive. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I, I think Memphis is a great example of, you know, a collaborative spirit. Um, and Mike, you say For this sure. a lot that, you know, so many arts organizations in Memphis are collaborative, will partner and work together. Um, it's, you know, not as competitive as one might think it is um, definitely that spirit of collaboration. And and since, um, you know, coming out of COVID and the pandemic, we're, we're seeing even more of that, um, where, you know, more organizations are partnering together, working together to reach, you know, new audiences, different audiences to you know, just find ways that they can be more creative together. And I think it's just really exciting and inspiring. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. I travel quite a bit, uh, you know, um, to various cities, certainly New York to see shows. But I'll get to Chicago, um, Atlanta. I've been to Dayton recently to uh, see a show. Uh, and I, I speak with a lot of colleagues in different cities. Um, I have a good friend who uh, runs... Um, She's the COO at an arts group down in uh, Birmingham. And, uh, you know, we talk and she is really surprised by how well the arts groups in Memphis get along with each other. And, and that's absolutely true. Uh, I think there is a, a wonderful sense of rising water floats all boats. And so we get together, the, whether it's the executive producers or directors or the um, development directors, uh, any of the artistic staff or administrative staff, we get together for drinks, breakfast, coffee. Uh, you know, we uh, we certainly share those ideas that um, might help us all, that have uh, challenged us all to see how we can, um, you know, thrive, uh, as you say, you know, beyond surviving. Um, and, and quite frankly, for some groups, it still is a matter of surviving coming out of COVID. 
So sharing those ideas so that we can better our community through the arts and quite frankly, cross-culturally as well, too, because it's not just within the arts. If we do well, we know that FedEx will do better. We know that Nike, we know that the small business uh, companies here in town will do well. We know that other nonprofits that are not arts-related will do well, and vice versa. You know, uh, It really is uh, very much intertwined. All of our successes are intertwined. So it's important that we, we pursue that, we explore that. Uh, sometimes we fail at that which is kind of important because we we learn from that as well, too. Uh, but I think Memphis is, quite frankly, unlike many other cities, in that we do collaborate as much as we do, or at least get along with each other. <laughs> um, you know, because we'll talk and go, yeah, we're doing that. And we'll say, Man, no, we're not going to do that. But, you know, so, but we've had the discussion, right? And uh, I think, uh, and we still have quite a ways to grow in terms of gaining trust with, with a lot of um, other organizations in our in our region and our community. And uh, I think we're working on that as well, too. At least we have the discussions to do so. So yeah, I think it's a very strong, strong mojo that we have in Memphis. What do you think is a catalyst for that, for that collaboration, for linking arms in the way that y'all do? You know, it, I mean, certainly COVID was part of it, but it was there before COVID for sure. Uh, I don't know, you know, it's, uh, so I've been, I'm not a Memphian, but I, I've been here longer than I've been anywhere else in my life. A chosen I, Memphian. I, I am a chosen Memphian. Uh, never intended to stay here. Uh, I, you know, yeah, in nineteen, <laughs> yeah, right, right. In nineteen eighty nine, I moved here. I had a, you know, I had a one year contract as an actor, and I was going to go off to Chicago because that was going to be, you know, my Broadway was going to be in Chicago. Uh, but I fell in love with the city. I fell in love with the people that are here. Um, with as many of the problems that we have, uh, at least there's a sense of everybody trying to work on those problems. It's slow. It's it's humid, <laughs> you know. It's it's messy, um, but at least everybody kind of embraces that. I think, at least from my perspective, and 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 in many ways, I'm very naive about some of these perspectives because I, you know, a 60 year old white man uh, running an arts organization in a you know community of 65 percent African Americans, and, and I get that. Uh, so there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of messiness, but. I, it's something that I really, really learned to love on top of all the other economic things like the cost of living here is great. You know, I lived in Southern California for three years and I love that too, but there's no way I could afford to stay there. There's just a lot of things that are, the river, the water is great. All of these reasons. And it really gets down to the people. The people are great. Uh, and I love working with the people and, um, yeah, but like I said, it's humid and it's messy sometimes. And I think there's something to be said for that. I think to your point, you know, so many leaders of arts organizations in Memphis, I think, do have that spirit where where it is the, you know, like you said, rising water lifts all boats. I think there is really a, a true commitment to, you know, supporting our community through the arts and what can arts organizations do to to help, you know, and mm -hmm. and um, and, you know, especially, you know, coming out of the pandemic again to come back to that. I mean. Folks got really creative, not in just how to deliver their art, but how to support their communities. And um, and so I think it's that kind of spirit as, you know, we're here to to do art, but to help help our community as well. Yep. And so I think that I, I see that in, in a lot of organizations. Yeah, the creative class, 
goes well beyond just, you know, the walls of all of our arts or arts organizations. It's, you know, people talk about the Bohemian Index and things like that. The, the idea that there are creative answers to our issues that we're dealing with. Um, and certainly coming out of COVID, as Tracy, as Tracy said, you know, yeah, we all, you know, overused word, we all pivoted. We all did what we needed to do. <laughs> um, but out of that pivot, we learned a lot of things that we're going to keep doing and and i say the royal we all you know the arts groups that are out there but the other nonprofits too for sure you know whether it's um you know uh, health related uh anything like that uh, we made a lot of choices to get us out of covid that i think we are, are utilizing a lot of those choices now and we you know you you find you discover things and that's part of the creative class come up with creative solutions so uh and we i think most of the arts groups certainly get that so we're willing to talk about it. And thinking about culture and livability, and Michael, you mentioned arts as a driver for talent retention. Kind of looking at the other side of that, how is Memphis supporting professional artists? Where are we shining in that area and where could we do better? Well, the first thing I will say is we can do better. Uh, we're not there yet. Uh, certainly as a, you know, I can speak for our company. Uh, we're doing better as it pertains to paying actors a living wage, but we're not quite there yet. We've made financial choices over the last, uh, well, since I, certainly since I've been executive producer. So, you know, certainly since 2018, and it was before that too, although it was a little bit of a different, uh, a, a different time, obviously. Um, so we have a ways to go, uh, you know, but there are certainly other professional arts organizations in town uh, that are driving this idea that, in order to attract and retain, you have to attract them with something attractive, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, you know, and that's, yes, it's going to be the art and I want to create and I'm an artist. But at the end of the day, you have to pay them something and they have to be able to pay their rent. They have to be able to buy some food. And that, you know, we've and I think this kind of goes, again, cross sector for a lot of nonprofits. We tend to still live in the idea that we do our stuff for free just for the good of doing something good and at the end of the day i will suffer because i've done that all day long but i but i don't have a dollar in my wallet to go buy you know milk or whatever you know and so we have to come we have to turn that around and certainly with arts memphis's help uh tennessee arts commission um various other philanthropic organizations but really i think where the hook has to happen is internally with arts organizations who do intend to provide salaries to people who work there. Now, this is different than, you know, perhaps a community theater or a nonprofit that doesn't pay its volunteers, which, you know, is fine too. Uh, but you have to really run your nonprofit like a business. It's a nonprofit business. It doesn't mean you don't make profit. <laughs> you know, you have to bring money in. You have to have your earned revenue on top of the unearned. So you have to sell those tickets. You have to get folks into those educational programs. And and we we can do better. We can still do better in that regard. So, yeah, it's a business model, just like FedEx, Nike, pick any of the big companies. Um, but even the small businesses, you have to attract that talent and retain them so that they will stay here. How do you retain them? You provide something good. Uh, you have you know safe neighborhoods, good schools, uh, and you give them a salary that will keep them here. And that's still a a great challenge for a lot of professional arts groups. And I definitely agree. Just based on the information we have, we um, every year get a bunch of data and information from about four dozen 
arts organizations that we support through our annual operating support grant, which provides unrestricted funding um, for arts organizations. And what we learned from folks um, reporting out of that is that those or those um, in this year, 45 organizations um, engaged 13,000 artists, but reported that only 4,500 of them were paid. And so I think that's direct evidence to what you're saying, Mike, is yeah. that, you know, the, the artists make the art. Mm-hmm. And so they definitely need to be compensated. And so um, another one of our grantees, Music Export Memphis, they've you know done a compensation study the last couple of years on musicians specifically. And, um, you know, they are now advocating for a minimum $250 payment for musicians for each gig per musician, you know, because it's not just the person getting up there on the stage to do the performance. There are the mm-hmm. hours, days, weeks of rehearsal and, and training that led up to that performance, you know. So so there is still a lot of 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 um opportunity to do better (laughs) in this regard but but there too i think you know there are so many um especially smaller arts organizations that are kind of grassroots in nature and you know the the founders of these organizations and the leaders are just so committed but you know they're maybe not able to pay themselves a competitive wage yet so that's something we're looking at too is how can we how can we work with organizations and through our funding try to, you know, help encourage that move towards, you know, not just, you know, fair wages, but competitive wages as well. So, um, so we're yeah. working, working on that. And that's, you know, a great point. So, you know, when these grassroots organizations and, and we started off, you know, back in 1969 as, as a grassroots organization and for, you know, nearly 50 years, it was, you know, built on the, the love and the desire and the backs of the artists who wanted to put this wonderful theater together and got paid just enough money to scrape along and, you know, but had to have other gigs, other jobs to do that. Um, you know, we're at a time now where if you've got an executive director or executive producer or producer, whatever that lead title is, who leaves? Uh, the challenge becomes replacing that person now with competitive wages because you're either going to replace that person who's willing to take the same amount of little money that was there before. And and you take that down the down the list, right? Yes. Down the you know, the flow chart. So, you know, I can speak about scenic designers, tech directors, stage managers. You fill know. in whatever blank. Exactly. Yes. Uh, you know, if I can either fill that person fill that role in with somebody who's willing to take the money who probably doesn't have the experience that I really need. Or we have to go out of town to do that. And I will tell you that suddenly becomes a very scary proposition because they're asking for twice as much as what you were willing to pay beforehand. And that's that's a disservice to Memphis. So we have to start working on getting those salaries up so we can not just compete internally within Memphis, but that we can compete regionally uh, and certainly nationally. But you know, just getting to regional averages, which is something we're working on at Playhouse, is extremely important. For those nonprofits, arts groups that are looking to pay their people, you know, and again, not it's not the same model in every nonprofit, but certainly as it pertains to paying artists and the administrative folks that run those organizations, uh, it's it's extremely important and challenging. What role do you think? Um, I mean, I 
the kind of stereotype of a struggling artist of yeah. like ha- wearing that as a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said before, it was a lot built on the sweat equity of the artists themselves, yeah. whether you're a musician, whether you're a lighting coordinator, whatever it was, just willing to put the art out there. And I do feel like to y'all's point, times are changing Correct. in that way. Yep. And so what, I know you said there's no ma- you know golden egg or magic bullet, whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. But there's so many different factors at play from the access, so the ticket pricing to make sure Mm -hmm. that, you know, your community can come in to your Mm -hmm. doors, but also to get salaries up. But then there's also, I mean, it's just what? It's very intertwined. You know, it's you pull a string, right? And it has, you know, the the whole fabric can come undone. The suit can fall apart. Exactly. (laughs) Um, You know, yeah, everything is so interconnected. I can again, you know, speaking on behalf of Playhouse, we, we've we've had a strong tradition of being very fiscally conservative and responsible with the money that is brought in, so that we don't run deficits, right? Um, but knowing that we need to pay people more and making sure that we are competitive, we have to balance that off with the money that comes in, but also the accessibility. To your point, right? So at Playhouse. Uh, over the last number of years, certainly during COVID, because we had an opportunity, because we literally did not have people in our building, we could work on accessibility issues like putting in railings, making sure that uh, moving forward we had uh, better services with um, you know hearing issues or sight issues or anything along those lines. Um, and coming out of you know this last year, one of the things that we have been talking about, Whitney Joe, who's our managing director. She and I had been talking since COVID, during COVID, going, okay, you know, we've we've continually raised our ticket prices over the years to, for a lot of reasons. Number one, yes, yes the art has great value and you should pay to see art. I yes. mean, there's that philosophy and it's important. Um, and it also helps us bring more money in so we can pay people more money. Win-win. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> However, what that was doing was it was setting up a, a large barrier in our community back to the accessibility point. So Whitney and I started talking about going, okay, you know, our tickets, our most expensive tickets, 50 bucks. That is a barrier to a lot of folks to come to our theater. And we weren't selling out all of our shows either, right? So we started batting around ideas and we said, what if we were to lower the prices of our tickets? And not just, you know, five bucks, but drastically. What would happen financially if we were to drastically reduce our prices? So we started picking numbers out and we said, what happens if we change our ticket prices to 25 bucks? Well, we had to do a lot of math then, right? I was so about we, to say, yep, yeah. Yep. Because, you know, if we take all those $50 tickets and suddenly make them 25, you're making half the money. But we knew that we were not selling out of all of our shows or our education programs. And we had subscribers. So we figured out the math in the last two years prior to COVID. Uh, had we had we turned some of those subscribers into these $25 ticket buyers, we would have raised probably more than $100,000 more than we did, assuming we're doing our job marketing uh, and getting those people to buy the tickets, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't just assume they'll go, yeah, okay, I'll buy the ticket. So this is a grand experiment for us. I think we've got all of the, we've got our finances in our, you know, on the paper and in our heads, but bringing those barriers down to your point is something that does two things. Number one, hopefully it allows more folks to come see the art so we get more butts in seats. 
uh, and hopefully with more butts and seats, then our earned revenue goes up. So it gets to be a win-win in that particular scenario. We'll see. We'll see. It's, uh, it's something different, something new for us, certainly. As you look at the audience for um, our community, thinking about the ways that art imitates life, I know that's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot, but I'm curious to know what local projects that are reflective and representative of our community are happening right now. Oh, gosh. I mean, how much time do we have? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, well, one thing I'll say, um, one way anyone can find out about that, we just launched a new um, resource on our website. We have a new calendar um, featuring arts events by you know, any organization, nonprofit or other, and um, and you can sort through that if you're interested in dance or theater or music or if you want something that's kid-friendly or for seniors or, um, and to Mike's point, um, you know, also free events or mm-hmm. pay-what-you-can events, you know, for folks that might, um, you know, are looking for something low cost to do with their kids or, you know, something like that. So I think, um, so that's that's a great resource that's new um that's available to everyone on our website and um so artsmemphis.org and um and so i think in terms of um you know just what's happening in the community there are so many examples it's really kind of hard to to pin down one example um but um something that comes to mind right now it's september so for you know it's opera memphis is 30 days of Mm -hmm. opera so that you know they're going all over Shelby County, and um, and they're also partnering. Um, you know, back to our um, point about collaboration. Yep. You know, our, uh, they're partnering with Casa Teatro. They partner with the Dixon. That you know, there's um, just a lot of collaborations and partnerships that happen around that organization and so many others. And then, um, you know, Casa Teatro, for example. They launched a youth um, theater education program last year, so that's now going into their second year. And they just finished a production at Evergreen Theater, and you know they're getting ready for um, Latin Fest coming up, and then later this fall, Dia de los Muertos, which they do in partnership with the Brooks. Um, so, I mean, you know, that's that's just a couple of examples of things that are happening right now, but. Yeah, the, you know, the, certainly artistic productions, other ways too, you know, so we we share sets or set pieces or props, you know, with all of the different theaters. And, and that includes the universities as well, too. Um, we, we share spaces uh, at Playhouse, you know, we house in our administrative building. So we've got Indy Memphis, we've got Literacy Mid-South, uh, we have uh, Christchurch, we've got um, a, a number of different organizations that use our space dur- during the season. Uh, and, you know, it's not just us. We, we see that at Theater Memphis. We see that, at, you know, the various performing arts spaces. Uh, recently, a wonderful collaboration that we had with a number of arts groups through the Memphis Cultural Coalition was the Memphis Mayoral Arts Forum. So we hosted it at Playhouse, and I kind of took over the technical aspects of it since it was kind of our, you know, it was our house. It was, yeah, it was a home, home field Ex- advantage. Exactly, you know. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, the folks from uh, MMI, music, uh, Memphis Music Initiative, uh, Claiborne Temple, uh, Opera Memphis, uh, the Big We Foundation, um, there might be one or two others, Arts, Arts Memphis, Memphis, certainly, uh, New Memphis, and uh, Community Foundation of Greater Memphis, 
uh, collaborating on this event for the first time in Memphis, where we had mayor mayoral candidates actually talking about how the arts are good for the community and how we can you know overcome some of the challenges that we have. Uh, and I thought it was a wonderful event, and certainly from you know the the things that were said on stage, but stepping away from it. Uh, these leaders that worked with these various groups putting this together, we're we're much closer now, um, and have uh, you know a stronger relationship in terms of talking about things, uh, talking about the challenges we're facing. Uh, so yeah, it's these collaborations. I, you know, short of a financial disaster collaborative thing, Knock which certainly <laughs> can happen. Uh, you know, there's not usually a downside to these types of collaborations. So. I'm I'm curious to I wasn't able to attend the forum unfortunately, but I'm curious to know what sort of challenges were highlighted, what sort of solutions were mentioned, what was the overall vibe of the event? Mm-hmm. Well, I think one one example, um, you know, Memphis, despite our global recognition as a arts and culture powerhouse, we don't have a city division department of arts and culture. Right. You're, you're like, wow, wow. how is yes. that possible? Is that, is that yeah. something other cities have? Oh, my gosh. A yes. Lot, a lot of them Yeah. Do. Like Good nearly every, okay. nearly every city. <laughs> Certainly uh, every city our size. Yes. Okay. Yes, for sure. Um, but, um, you know, we, we don't have one. And, um, you know, Shelby County government recently implemented a, a position for an arts and culture liaison so that they do have a staff person in county government that's, you know, working with listening to specifically nonprofit arts organizations, which which are a huge industry in Memphis. Um, you know, we'll be uh, later this month, we'll be getting new data from a national study that we conducted for Shelby County, which picks up on a, a study done about five years ago. The last study that was done indicated that the nonprofit arts and culture said, uh, sector in Memphis is a $200 million annual industry. So it, there's a lot of um, it's. I mean, the economic impact, number one, is huge. And then, again, just our cultural legacy and our artistic legacy is immense. And so to have, I think that was one of the main things that came out of that mayoral forum discussion sure. was the need to really capitalize on what one of Memphis's great strengths is, and that's our art. And how do we use that to leverage growth for the community and improvements in our communities and, and you know, and education? I mean, it really, it has application everywhere. Um, if, and if we can just, you know, build on and capitalize on the strength of our art sector, we have immense possibilities. I'm curious, too. This was one of the first of its kind, this forum, correct? This yeah. is the first one that we th- can find out in Memphis. Yeah. yeah. So why why do you think it's taken so long for that to kind of be a thing? Well, for this topic to be at the forefront before election day. Yeah. So the way it happened in Memphis was somebody opened their big mouth, which was me. <laughs> yes, it was. It was me. Um, because Nashville was having it through uh, ABC, which is their arts and business cultural something something something. Arts something. and business council. There you go, council. Ah, Thank okay. you. Um and I went, this would be really cool. And so they had, what, like nine candidates or something like that on a stage talking about the arts and the entertainment business, which obviously is huge in Nashville. And I said to the Memphis Cultural Coalition, I said, wouldn't this be cool if we could do something like this in Memphis? And suddenly, you know, four or five emails, when do you want to have it? 
Light uh, bulb. Yeah, yeah, I went, oh, okay, yeah, right. That's right. I have a theater. Um, <laughs> so uh, anyway, it took off, right? Mm-hmm. And we said, uh, you know, I, I don't have the connections to the candidates. Uh, you know, Rochetta Watkins did. And uh, through, Mem- through, through MMI, Memphis Music Initiative, and uh, Anasa Troutman through Claiborne Temple. And they said, let us handle this part. And I said, okay, great. We need funding. So, you know, we approached Arts Memphis, certainly, uh, New Memphis, uh, CFGM, a couple of other, you know, friends to say, okay, well, you know, we need to pay the people that are involved in putting this together. And it, it, and we're all going, this absolutely makes sense. Of course, we should have been doing this before. But it took a catalyst. It took, you know, somebody else to get it done. And us looking at ourselves, the, again, the royal us, I use that a lot, Memphis in general, we take ourselves for granted, right? We don't appreciate the things that we have here. Other people outside of Memphis appreciate all the things we have. And you could give, you know, examples of Beale Street, Graceland, you know, Civil Rights Museum, things like that. But we take those things for granted. We don't, we don't invest in our own, um, our own ego sometimes, you know, in terms of what we need to really push and brag about ourselves, what yeah. we can do for our community. And this was an opportunity to put mayoral candidates on the spot. We provided them with the questions so that they had time to prepare because we didn't want anybody to, you know, we didn't want the gotcha questions or anything like that. Because, you know. <laughs> you want authenticity. Exactly. You want genuine move yeah, the needle. Because quite frankly, if they're going to prep an answer, they're going to have to stick to the answer if they become the mayor. And the four candidates that we had, uh, you know, I think answered the questions very well to varying degrees in terms of what their background was and where, you know, how they see the city, because obviously there's a lot of other components to that. But, you know, we brought in questions about, well, uh, you know, that the uh, labor, the um, payment that, you know, the city would maybe provide to the arts in general. But, you know, is there money to be had out there? Uh, how do we coordinate the arts with creating some of the answers to our issues of crime or poverty or housing or, you know, what creative ways can we be involved? Uh, because we want to be involved in those. Like Playback Memphis, I think, already does. Yeah, Correct. some of that. There Ex- are There's precedent for that. Abs- yeah. You're absolutely right. And, you know, but to scale that up mm-hmm. and but to have a mayoral candidate going, well, here's one of the ways we're going to do it. And, you know, the word arts and culture are in their mouths when they're talking about it, as opposed to let's just solve crime. Easy to say, you know, it's it's much harder to accomplish. And there are a lot of components that go with that. And arts and culture are part of that. I think another key component really will be how is the city of Memphis investing in their arts? Because right now there's really not a line item to support arts and culture. Um, and so, no. and but it's mm. such a huge part of our, our identity and again of our economy and our culture and, and it's worthy of investment. Um, and, and I think one of the stats that we get from like the um, National Endowment for the Arts is for every $1 invested in nonprofit arts organization, it results in additional $9 in spending. So it's, it's a great idea. It's mm-hmm. important to our city. And, and so we'll be, we'll be paying attention once That's the, right. um, you know, once the mayoral elections happen and, and we're, uh, I think collectively through the um, cultural coalition, looking forward to continuing the conversation um, with whoever comes into the mayor's office. That's Definitely. exciting. Yeah. Um, so we've touched a little bit on the immense economic impact that the arts has, as well as the culture and livability of a city. But something I feel like we are kind of, we haven't dug right into is the health of a community 
and what impact the arts has on that. And I feel like coming mm-hmm. out of a pandemic and a post-pandemic world, the the need for community, the need for spaces to be able to come together um, in the same way that sports does it. When you're sitting next to somebody that you might not have anything else in common with other than you're in the same building as them. Mm-hmm. Can you share a little bit about what's being done to make sure that that thrives in 2023 and moving forward, that you can take the innovations that you learned about, that you've all you know alluded to during the mm-hmm. pandemic and creating ways for community to come together? Well, maybe just start off by saying you know, what we've seen coming out of the pandemic is so many organizations um, putting community first. So, you know, yes, we're an arts organization, but what is it that, you know, the community that we serve, what is it that they need? And then finding the way to service that need through arts programming and arts events and initiatives. And so I think that, um, you know, w- one example of, um, you know, during the pandemic, um, there were about three um, organizations that we support um, that focus on youth creative development and they saw a real need for mental health supports um, during the pandemic and so they worked to provide um, you know counseling sessions at no cost to families for um, not just the youth participants but also the families and I think that's one of the things um, coming out of the pandemic that has is a positive that you know more f- more people are recognizing the need to you know, seek mental health um, supports when needed and, and to really focus on that. And, and I think we've especially seen how art is a great way to address that. And and again, as you mentioned earlier, Mike, you know, working with youth and all of the benefits that come through arts education for youth, you know, you know, social emotional learning is is a big part of that. And mm-hmm. so um, and so I think that's, you know, just a couple of examples of what what we're seeing coming out of the pandemic is is a real um, community, you know, even more than we kind of already talked about a real community service focus among arts organizations. Yeah, I agree, you know, completely with that there. And there's a couple of components to that, too. Right. When you say taking care of your community, um, certainly you're, we're we want to take care of the community around us that, you know, support uh, our organizations. We also want to take care of the community that's within our organization. So back to Tracy's point, making sure that we are offering services to the folks that are working for us, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's mental health services, uh, you know, physical health, mm-hmm. um, things like that, uh, you know, partnerships with gyms or whatever that might be uh, on top of trying to get their salaries up. Uh, you know, goes a long way to a better health. And we know that. When we talk about the community at large, the, the challenges that we still face is making sure that we are, number one, providing the kind of programming that the community needs, not just that we think it needs, but that it needs, right? One of the examples I give is uh, this happened pre-COVID. We started the first queer youth theater program in Memphis because there was a need for folks teenagers through their early 20s to have a safe place uh, to talk about who they are, what they are, what they're going through, uh, because maybe their families don't know, maybe their friends don't know, their schools don't know, but having a safe place and then using the arts to kind of process through that as just one example. The other challenges that we, you know, that we're trying to uh, find better answers to, because again, it's messy. Uh, the the issue of transportation is a huge thing still in Memphis, Tennessee. 
making sure that organizations like ours are creating trustworthy pathways between us and that community in terms of bringing our programming to them or perhaps getting them to our programming in Midtown uh, because gaining that trust and, and that trust is based on you know diversity um, it's based on socioeconomic levels things like that and you have to gain the trust you can't just go barging into a community and say hey we're here to save you you know that's that's absolutely the wrong thing to do and unfortunately that's the way it's been done you know in the past uh, and I think it has created bigger barriers so overcoming some of those challenges to accessibility is something we're still learning about I think we're doing a better job about it. And again, speaking about Playhouse specifically, but I think arts groups in general have that opportunity. The, the, the commonality that we have is the art. And whether it's coming from you know, one direction or, or the other, the art is still the same in terms of we are singing, we are dancing, we are painting, we are creating something that I may not understand, but I get it because you're an artist. So I'm going to see what you're doing and let's see if we can, you know, uh, overlap on that. But it also comes back to some of the other nonprofits partnering with non-arts related nonprofit organizations uh, or for profit for that matter. We have a great partnership with Church Health Center, uh, you know, again, keeping the health of our staff in mind, but also making sure that the community understands what's going on with church health. Uh, we are members of Momentum Nonprofit Partners. And we go to meetings where most of the people in the room are not arts-related groups. So we get to hear what the other challenges are, and we get to see if there are opportunities to bridge, um, you know, that gap of making whatever we're all going through a better thing. Uh, for instance, you know, an example might be a diversionary program for youth, right? So uh, Playback Memphis, you brought up before, uh, finding ways to bridge that gap between the incarcerated, the recently released, and then, you know, um, folks that are have nothing to do with the prison system or happen to do the incarcerating, mm-hmm. um, you know, how do they bridge those gaps? And that's utilizing the arts, it's utilizing our police force, it's using the prison system, all these other things. There are a lot more answers in that middle ground between all of these. And we still have yet to discover a lot of what that is. Um but that's what the creative force is about. It's about going, well, what, what, what happens if we do that? Um, you get the minds going, and uh, maybe there's an answer in there. Or maybe it's wrong. And again, that's okay, too, because at least we tried. You know, and we get to move on to the other option, yeah. see what that is. But I would say, too, you know, with so many of our grantee organizations, you know, and especially those that, that do serve youth and have, you know, have a focus on youth programs, and, and there is, a, I think, a lot of trust between, you know, number one, if you're a parent bringing, you, you've got to trust the folks that you're, you know, handing That's your right. child over to. But mm-hmm. um, but I think through that close relationship that develops through those art programs and those youth and those families, I think, I think there is a lot of trust that develops there. And then that really uniquely positions arts organizations to help support families in other ways. So I think that's what Arts Memphis is looking at too, is how can we help arts organizations, you know, have the resources they need to do everything that they're wanting to do to help um, support the families that they're serving. And a lot of them are providing, 
you know, wraparound services that include, you know, um, for after school programs, they might, you know, the participating youth might get a snack or a meal or, you know, homework help or Mm -hmm. uh, mentoring services. And the families involved might also get, you know, other kinds of support that they need, like um, one organization, Young Actors Guild, they've been working with their families to provide um, uh, financial literacy classes because they're right next door to Regents Bank. So they're, you know, they're connecting with with that organization. They're using the resources right there in their neighborhood. So, um, so again, just all of the, you know, all of the ways that our organizations are serving our community is, is vastly beyond just the arts. Something um, Anasa Troutman we had on the podcast last week said mm-hmm. that um, Memphis's greatest raw material is creativity. Mm-hmm. And that with that, you can be a better fill in whatever blank. You can be a better legislator. You can be a better teacher. You can be a better parent. You can be a better actor. You can, you know, yep. with that creativity and all the crossroads and all of the intersections that you both have already named, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it spills over into every aspect of life. Yeah. And, you know, and something interesting, too, I think that we need to learn as arts groups, certainly, but also nonprofits is Know when somebody else is doing something better <laughs> than you. Ooh, that's a toughie. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, you know, uh, well, and again, I'll use Playhouse as an example. So we, you know, many years ago, we started an after-school acting program. It was the first one in the city. And uh, and it grew. You know, it grew. We were in various schools and places of worship, community centers, things like that. And as our staff evolved and what we were doing evolved, a number of other arts groups and nonprofits started doing their own you know, after school programs and utilizing the arts as, uh, you know, the, the driver for what they were doing with these kids. And, and, you know, during that time frame of when they would get in trouble, you know, between school and when they would get home. And we realized coming out of COVID that, quite frankly, there are many other groups now in the city who are doing these programs and, quite frankly, doing it better than we are. So why are we spinning our wheels here? Let's Let's get out of the way so that you know, these groups that really have now, um, you know, better uh, entry into various neighborhoods, schools, places of worship, you know, whatever that location is, let's get out of their way and do that. And so that way, you know, as a business decision, we can focus on those things that we are doing well and that we need to continue doing better. And, uh you know, and that's like you said, that's a hard thing for some groups to do. And and I'm not saying it was easy for us to do it, but we at the end of the day, we went, you know what? There's so many other groups doing this that, and they're doing it better. And quite frankly, they should be the ones doing it now. So uh, getting out of the way sometimes is part of the answer as well, too. And that's a creative choice just as much as anything else, because we get so involved in what we're doing. And I think maybe I'm the only one who can get this done because it's my art and it's my creativity. But sometimes we need to be able to step away and go, you know what, so-and-so is getting that done in a much better fashion. Let me step away and be creative somewhere else. Let me put my energy into a different thing because, you know, Lord knows there's going to be another thing coming up that we have to deal with. Uh, and that keeps, I think, arts groups uh, much more facile, much more. Uh, they have a better ability to maybe answer what the next new thing is, like we did with COVID. Right. Uh, you know, I think uh, the groups that survived through that were able to do so because they had things in place that allowed them to move and pivot and do the different things they need to. And unfortunately, there were a lot of groups 
uh, arts groups, nonprofits, and uh, certainly for-profit businesses that didn't have the ability to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, who knows what the next COVID is, and I'm knocking on wood. Yes. You know. Um, Goodness. Yeah, we want to. Yeah, that's the thumping on your microphone is uh, me knocking on wood. Knocking on wood. Uh, yeah. You know, we need to be we need to be ready to answer whatever the next thing is. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say, um, you know, to, to your point about that, we saw during the pandemic, um, especially small organizations that were either volunteer run or maybe had one full-time staff person, though a lot of these organizations, I mean, it was tough for everybody, but we saw those organizations being really nimble and, um, you know, creating new content, new programs, and now kind of coming out of the pandemic, they're on a growth trajectory um, because maybe their audience went from, you know, 2,000 people in person over a year to 20,000 because they don't, now they've got a virtual audience and people on multiple continents that are aware of what they do, you know? So so it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, again, to your point about creativity, you know, I mean, I think that we really saw... Um, you know, sort of creativity at its finest mm-hmm. during that. Um, yep. It was a lot of out of necessity, but at the same time, <laughs> just um, just how organizations really focused on their audiences and their communities, and um, and and now it's um, you know it's it's going to be really exciting to see. I think we're getting, we're really I think in a new um, model. Mm-hmm. Um, that is emerging in the arts community. Evolving at least, yeah. you know, yeah. certainly evolving. Yeah. So you said you knocked on wood, but um, mm-hmm. what the next, you know, barrier or big thing is coming. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, both of your um, opinions on, so the New York Times has come out with quite a few um articles lately somewhat contradicting themselves if i do say so myself about (laughs) how um, theater kids are now running the world with everything from lawyers and teachers to professional actors and musicians but they also um alluded to uh the theater sector imploding in our country yeah so i'm curious what you would say to kind of both sides of that coin well i think theater training is good for anything you know, I don't. I don't care what you're going to grow up to be. If you've got some theater background, you're going to be better at it. But I, I would take that out of the theater. If you're a musician or an artist or you know, dance or whatever it is, the idea that you're creating something out of nothing except your brain and your your own you know essence, soul, whatever that happens to be, will absolutely help you in a courtroom, in an operating room, driving a bus. I don't care what it is, right? Uh, because you will you'll just be a, a more well-rounded person to get that job done. Um, in terms of theaters imploding, yeah, you know, uh, it's unfortunate. And again, I don't work at those theaters. I can only talk about what I see from the outside looking in, Mm -hmm. um, Playhouse on the Square is nowhere near anything like that. And the reason is very simple because we have been fiscally conservative in planning for something just like this. You know, we have been fortunate that we have an endowment in place. Well, mm-hmm. this we started putting that endowment in place well before we ever expected that there would be a pandemic or anything like that. And it certainly helped us get through. Um, we make sure we have made sure that we're not putting our money into debt service. You know, the buildings that we own, we own. We don't we're not paying mortgages. We're not paying loans off. We're not doing any of that. So any of the money that we bring in and this has been our paradigm 
for over 50, well, 40 years, over 40 years, let's say, you know, going to those first 10 years of existence. Um, so that any of the money that we bring in goes into paying the people or paying the bills, right? Mm-hmm. You know, k- keeping the lights on, that sort of thing. I, From what I understand from colleagues at some of these theaters, a lot of that planning was not quite frankly in place. They overextended some of the things that we were doing and some, some of the things that they were doing. Uh, you know, Jackie Nichols, who is our founder, and, uh, you know, one of the things that he really made sure we kept in mind if we were to ever start a new program, uh, you know, let's say we got that great grant from Arts Memphis to start that program. How does that program continue the second, third, fourth, fifth year? Because Arts Memphis may not be on board that second, third, fourth, fifth year. And so many programs, and this, I talk about Memphis too, so many programs have started and then stopped because they couldn't continue the funding for it. So how do you self-sustain some of these programs? That's the big picture we bring back to Playhouse. So, uh, you know, my only answer to that is I I think there were challenges of financial planning with some of these organizations, which were so large and so overextended financially. Um, You know, and then you have something as horrible as COVID hit and it couldn't couldn't hang on. Exactly. And, you know, and that's, that's also to say, you know, thank goodness for, uh, you know, all the letters, PPP, SVOG, you know, all of the <laughs> governmental programs, because that saved a lot of people. We were able to use that on top of the money we already had in place to make sure that we could continue coming out of COVID. Um, you know, unfortunately, the PPPs, the SVOGs, all of, you know, the ERGs, all those didn't weren't enough to really save some of these companies, unfortunately, and great companies, too. Yeah. Tracy? Well, um, I'll just kind of pick up on a couple of th- things Mike said first. Um, but, you know, Arts Memphis as a grant-making organization, we don't recommend that you start a new program just to get a grant. So That's we want right. <laughs> to know what are you already doing that just you're really proud of, yes, yes, you yes. know. So, um, and, that, and that's why we prioritize unrestricted support because, you know, we just want to, you know, fund the organization to help achieve their mission and goals. And so what, what are you already doing um, and, and how are you impacting your community? Um, but, um, you know, to, to your point, Mike, about being, you know, fiscally conservative and responsible, one thing that we saw going into the pandemic was that a majority of our um, grantees that are black or brown led and organizations that prioritize communities of color, most of those organizations did not have reserve funds going into the pandemic. And that's because, you know, they've been Mm -hmm. under-resourced over, you know, their their lives. And so so that was a real challenge. And then to the point about, um, you know, like PPP loans and things like that, Many of those organizations, again, they're either volunteer run or mm-hmm. they relied on contract staff because, you know, they're, um, they didn't have the budget to support, you know, full-time permanent or part-time permanent staff. And so those organizations weren't eligible for things like PPP loans oh, and right. stuff like that. Yeah. So, okay, mm-hmm. good point. Yeah. So, and even if they were eligible, they didn't have the people to actually process I was about the to say, loans it was a lot of, right. it was a lot of paperwork to, right. to get yeah. that done right. so it's not it was not for the faint of heart it, it <laughs> right. was not and um and so you know despite all that though a lot of the organizations that we've been supporting you know over the last few years um that that fall into that category um again those are some of the same organizations i mentioned earlier you know just super nimble 
um, you know, just really work to serve their communities. Like, um, you know, we saw so many organizations, um, one, one of our grantee organizations, ACT Yada, they are housed in a church um, in South Memphis. They started working with the church there to, you know, make meals for seniors in the neighborhood. And so they were, you know, received some funding through the food bank to support that program. And so they brought their youth participants in and they would help make the food and then distribute the food to the seniors in the neighborhood. But it was also a way to keep their kids engaged during a time when they, you know, couldn't necessarily keep up the programming during COVID. So, um, so I think just a, a couple of things to kind of piggyback on what you said and and then but to the earlier part of your question about the theater kids, you know, running the world, I will say my daughters acted in a couple of um, the Peter Pan productions mm-hmm. at, Playhouse, at yeah. Playhouse and Mike's right. Theater does great things um, for you no matter what. She's, you know, a very confident and, you know, self-possessed person. And I'm sure the theater experience has something yep. to do with that. I think it's, it's, li- it's literally for everybody, whether they think so or not. Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> More than a handful on our staff who um, printed that article and put it up in our break room. Oh, very so, good. So, yes. Good, good. They were like, in case you were curious, we now have affirmation that we are running the world. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Mike and Tracy, you have painted such a beautiful picture of the arts, not only as one of the most significant elements in our community that makes it livable and lovable, but you have helped us understand the economic need, the support that the role of support that the arts can play in our community. But I'd love to know how we can better support the arts as patrons, as individuals, and as organizations. Get off the couch. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing I think right now is get off the couch. Uh, you know, um, I don't I don't think COVID is the driving force. Anymore. Certainly for fo- some folks it is. Uh, but that's not what's keeping people away from enjoying the arts right now. I think, you know, unfortunately... For as long as COVID was, it got people used to being back home, enjoying their home. And and mm-hmm. I get it. There are weekends I'm going, I just want to stay at home. You know, I get it. But we have to kind of get our audiences back out, get our folks back out into, um, you know, into the theaters, into the museums, into the galleries, um, so that we can, again, strengthen that communication that we have between the artists uh, the arts groups and the community. That's the only way it's going to be done. We can't force our way through their front door, you know, unless we're on Netflix or something like that. And that's, again, you know, I, I love I love my streaming services. I do. Uh, but we need to get folks convinced that it's okay to come back out and support uh, various arts groups in the region. Uh, that's the only way to really do it. We certainly have a lot of work to do as arts organizations too. It's not just all on the patron. We have to make sure that we're providing something they want to see and be a part of that's just a part of it we also need to continue make sure continuing to make sure that we provide things that will drive the community forward so you know that subject matter that may not be everybody's cup of tea uh, but it is definitely a cup of tea that needs to be drunk by somebody some cups of tea are bitter <laughs> some are sweet exactly you know yeah and you know and and that's what art does it starts it starts a discussion a conversation sometimes people are happy about it some people are pretty ticked off by it And you know what? It's okay to get ticked off every now and then because you start questioning things and you start to answer some of those questions. So that's what I would say. It's just we've we've got to uh, do a better job of getting people off the sofa. And we have some numbers to reinforce what Mike just said. Here we go, Tracy, with the data. We love it. Right. So 
so the econo- the National Economic Impact Study I mentioned earlier, it's um, Arts and Economic Prosperity. We're awaiting the results, um, which we'll be getting soon from Americans for the Arts. But um, we do have some pre- preliminary numbers um, that let us know that when this study was last conducted, um, we had about 70 organizations that participated in the study. They engaged 2.5 million audience members. This time we had 87 organizations participating and they engaged 1.9 million audience members. And that drop in audience participation is consistent across the country. It's happening in every community. Um, And what we've seen from our operating support grantees, their participant numbers are down about 7% um, to where they were pre-pandemic. Contributed revenue is also down about that much. So we we are seeing a correlation there. Um, And then, as Mike mentioned earlier, you know, thank goodness for these different, you know, federal um, recovery funds that came through. And in Tennessee, um, our Tennessee Arts Commission has provided about $25 million in recovery funding to about 30 different arts and culture organizations in Shelby County. But those funds are ending next year. So, um, so to Mike's point, yes, we absolutely want folks to go and experience the arts. And again, there is definitely something for everyone, um, no matter what you're interested in, or if you don't know what you're interested in, go and check something out because we really do have an amazing art scene here. We have incredible theater. Of course, we have incredible music. We have amazing, you know, visual art um, institutions between, you know, the Metal Museum, the Dixon, the Brooks, and with the new beautiful museum they're building. I mean, it's just, you know, going to go beyond that. And then, you know, and then all of the arts um, organizations um, and programs for youth is um, just amazing. So, if you know, you have a kid who's curious about something, there is definitely a program for your child in whatever artistic area they are interested in. So, so yes, go and experience some art. Go and buy a ticket and support local artists and arts organizations. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us today to, you know, dig a little bit deeper into the importance of the arts, but also what the current landscape is looking like and give our listeners a challenge to Thank you. show up and show out. Yes. Well, our, our director usually says, you know, your, your assignment is go to two arts events that you haven't gone to before or go to, you know, or that an arts organization you haven't tried out. So that would be, that would be my, ch- my charge. To so there's listeners. your homework. Yes. <laughs> there's your homework. Thank you, Mike and Tracy. Thank you. Thank you. Independent Bank is celebrating 25 years of sharing your stories, building your dreams, and serving you heroically. Find out how iBank can help you achieve your financial dreams at i-bankonline.com. Member FDIC.